National college football writer for CBS Sports, Memphis native and Tennessee grad, who you can find on Twitter X at David W. Cobb. It's David Cobb. David Cobb joins us now from CBS Sports, where he covers college football and college basketball. And David, I mean, where to start? I mean, so much to talk about today. Day one of college basketball, college football continues to roll right along. I'll start in college football. Why not? And talk about the weekend that we had. But before that, uh, this Michigan uh, story kind of took another turn as we went into the weekend Friday night as Michigan decided to fire um, uh, Stallions, the uh, the analyst that is in the middle of this Spygate situation. What did you make of that decision, and what do you think happens next for this Michigan football team? Yeah, buckle up, because now that he's no longer on payroll and no longer bound to Michigan in any formal way, we're going to see how loyal Connor Stallions truly is to the Wolverines. Mm. Because my guy, he wrote an entire manifesto about his plan for taking over the program. And uh, allegedly, his, his interest in doing all this espionage for Michigan was his passion for the school and for the program. Well, uh, how passionate and loyal is he going to be now that uh, he's no longer employed and now that his name has been dragged through the mud? And now that, here's the important part. Michigan is going to try and pin all of this on him and yeah. make it as though he were a rogue actor, a lone warrior, that nobody else on staff had any idea of how he was acquiring the opponent's signals. And he might get kind of tired of that, right? Like, it, it, he keeps getting uh, pinned with all the blame here. So what is Michigan going to do uh, to keep him quiet and to keep him from uh, pointing the finger up higher, uh, up higher the chain of uh, the chain of command there at Michigan. David, I don't know of a group, or an organization that I think any more of than a United States Marine. He was a captain in military intelligence in the U.S. Marine Corps. He, Gomer Powell couldn't have fumbled this this bad. <laughs> no kidding. It's it's pretty wild. The lack of ingenuity in hiding what he was trying to do because. If his name was on Venmo payments, guys, I just read an article the other day about how uh, you can track Venmo payments as, if, if you don't put it to private and you leave it on public, which is the default setting for Venmo. You can track the payments of anybody. In fact, people have tracked Joe Biden's uh, Ven- uh, Venmo payments because it, if you leave it on public, and anybody can see them. And so for this guy to be transferring money, allegedly, uh, to the people who he had going to videotape games for him illegally, I mean, that's just, that's just sloppy. You know, that is, that is poor espionage work. And so I guess there's a difference between a, a Marine and a trained counterintelligence officer. And uh, I guess Stallions lacked a little bit of training in the counterintelligence realm. And uh, Michigan's going to pay the price for that because he, he was very, very sloppy. It was not, it was not a, an effort to hide it, really, uh, on his part uh, of any significance. Reason number 92, I'm not on the Venmo. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of weird, isn't it? Yeah, just sending people money over an app. Uh, it's kind of kind of a strange concept to begin with. But, uh, yeah, there you go. And if I, you try, do, I tried to pay cash at a place Saturday night in Oxford and almost shut the whole place down. <laughs> them trying to break 100. Oh, it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I'm almost exclusively like the tap to pay. Like, uh, I've got my phone. I just hit the side button twice. And, uh, and it's quick, it's easy. I mean, you know, maybe it's the mark of the beast, who knows. But, uh, yeah, it's, it sure is convenient. 
I had to go to a business next door, get get change, and come back in and get my my purchase. <laughs> that's fantastic, and you know that's that's kind of surprising because I've noticed like it's more like the rural areas that tend to um, not have Apple Pay or whatever. Mm-hmm. So like, I but wouldn't this was necessarily. Cash. Yeah, I wouldn't have necessarily thought of uh, Lafayette County as being um, a, a you know no cash. It's Greenwich. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> who, who, who knew, David? Uh, what did you think of the uh, Ole Miss A&M game? I, I want to start with, i got to give A&M some credit. I thought in the second half, Bobby Petrino ran circles around Pete Golding, and A&M didn't quit fighting. Uh, you know, down at, at one point, I thought, all right, come on, A&M, take your NIL check and go home and, and quit. They didn't have any quit in them. I don't I mean, Texas A&M is actually a pretty good four-loss team. <laughs> I mean, they're a four-loss team, but they are they're one of the better ones out there. If, if you're going to rank the four-loss teams, how about this? If you did a power ranking right now of the top 30 teams in the country, not based off resume, but based off of who would beat who if they rolled the football out there, uh, Texas A&M would, would be a top 30 ranked uh, team in the power rankings. They have a good defense. Max Johnson, uh, he gets he gets hit a lot, but he is a, a decent quarterback. They've got good skill, and they really uh, gave Ole Miss a, a run there at the end. I mean, if you, that's the type of game where if you go and play that at College Station, maybe it goes the other way. I mean, and Ole Miss is sitting here now uh, at number 10 with an 8-1 and one record, but maybe not even significantly better uh, than Texas A&M, and that shows you the difference um, how things can, can turn on a dime in the SEC West. And, and you know, Arkansas and you got to be lucky. You do, and Ole Miss has been to this point. Texas A&M has not been. Arkansas finally got a little bit of luck and, and beat Florida. They've been living on the wrong end of things this year. But, again, I was just impressed with Ole Miss. I think Jackson Dart has low-key become one of the best quarterbacks in the league this year. Uh he threw for more yards in that game than he has at any point this season. And it was a you know, Texas A&M defense that is at least decent. Um, they've had some woes in the secondary at, at times throughout the year. But, you know, I thought he made plays. I, I think when, when Ole Miss has, has their weapons fully healthy, and we saw it with Trey Harris, man. He made some amazing catches in this game against Texas A&M. Like, when he's fully with it and with Priest Corn getting close to fully healthy, like, it kind of feels like Ole Miss might might be starting to peak. Might you know? I know I know the second half wasn't perfect, but like they are they're playing some of their better football at the right time. I got a column idea for you. the The big three. What SEC team has the best big three? Quarterback, tailback, main wide receiver. And and with that, I ask you: Dart, Judkins, Harris. Are they better than Cook, Schrader, Bolden? Pretty close. Pretty close. Uh, what we saw from Trey Harris on Saturday was Luther Burden level. How about this, though? I think I, I might go Jaden Daniels, Malik Neighbors, Logan Diggs mm. at LSU. And Strong. LSU's got their their problems. But, man, da- uh, Daniels and, and uh, Neighbors are, are really good together. And, and Diggs is a, is a good back, too. That, that's an interesting question, though. I, I, the Ole Miss trio is up there because Judkins is starting to get going a little bit. Probably more so a product of, of the Ole Miss offensive line playing better. But, yeah. you know, early in the season, uh, the the production wasn't quite there from Judkins. But you look up now, and he's he's uh, he's been quite a bit more productive as of late. And that's, that's helped Ole Miss tremendously. 
David, after all of the talk, Clemson losing at NC State, we've got Tyler from Spartansburg or wherever he was from calling in, asking. He should get an Emerald Walnut I mean, Bowl ring, shouldn't he? He should get something. Um, but, I mean, calling for, asking him why he's making so much money, asking Dabo that. And then they go out and beat 15th-ranked Notre Dame at home. What would you make of that win? Yeah, I, I had Notre Dame straight up in that one. I was surprised. I thought I thought with not only Clemson having such a bad season, but they were down in terms of injuries for that game too, like pretty bad. I mean, they were without a lot of key guys, including Will Shipley. Kate Klubnick had, had the ankle wrapped quite heavily. They were missing a few of their key defensive players in the front seven. I just thought that was the moment where Clemson folds and they – uh, got on the path to five and seven, but that was a good Notre Dame team. That, that this is a good Notre Dame team. It's not a great Notre Dame team, but it's a good Notre Dame team. So that's a, that's a great win for Clemson, and and it almost felt cathartic. Uh, the Gabo rant against Tyler from Spartanburg. It almost felt like a something for the program to rally around. Yeah. It almost felt like like getting that off of his chest, like got Dabo's heart rate down just a little bit. Although there he was screaming uh, after the game, talking about buy stock Red now, buy stock now. <laughs> yes, in, in, in Clemson. But uh, long term, it doesn't really change the reality, which is that Clemson has to adapt. But in the short term, I guess it, it probably means they're going to get bowl eligible. And that's, honestly, at this point, uh, it didn't look sure. Like, that that was no sure bet just a few days ago. So, uh, big win, good win for, for, for Clemson, for Dabo, long term, eh. We'll see. I'm not. I'm not convinced that they ever get back to the to the uh, Trevor Lawrence and Deshaun Watson days. And, and Taj Boyd that really oh, started yeah. there. It, yeah. it was three straight with with Boyd, uh, Deshaun, and Trevor Lawrence. David Cobb with us from CPS Sports, and we are going to get to some college basketball. I promise you. I think the next question from Bryant is going to be college basketball. Probably. But one last college football question, David. The the hit. Do you think it was dirty? Uh, do you think? What do you think of the the hit? And I don't think it cost LSU the game. But what do you think of it? I didn't think it was dirty. In fact, I thought five six years ago that is a clean hit. I saw it growing up. I don't even think it should have been a penalty. Right. If yeah, growing up that was not a a penalty at all. And then and then we got the the TV crew saying it should be targeting. And I'm thinking I I don't know how that could be targeting. Uh, no, it was it was. A clean hit. Jaden Daniels was in the process of releasing the football when Turner began his launch. I mean, I guess where they got him was he drove him into the ground and he landed on top, right? Those are things you're not supposed to do. You're supposed to land with But even moved to the side. He tried. Uh, he tried. I mean, I mean, he's not an acrobat. Yeah, I mean, that, that to me is just football. That that's it's football, football, and if they want to call it a penalty now, uh, so be it. I mean, I don't think well, they did call Turner's, it a penalty, but it was not uh, targeting. They did, yeah. Well, in, in it, I mean, it was a significant penalty because it gave LSU a first down in, in a key moment. I, I, at that point, though, if I'm correct, LSU was already down by 14 points, and Alabama had flipped the tide—no pun intended—pretty mm-hmm. mm-hmm. significantly. So LSU was going to have to really hustle to win that game. And let's not act as though Garrett Nussmeyer is, is some slouch of a backup. That man would be starting for almost every other program in the yeah. league. So I don't, I don't think the outcome of that game is any different, and I don't think it's a dirty hit by Alabama. And, and, and LSU never loses, David. They never lose. They either run out of time or the refs cheated them. They never lose. 
I know. And, you know, here's the deal. LSU has, has got two league games left, and they got to win both of them to match their SEC record from last season. I mean, the SEC West is toast. It's over for them. However, uh, if they lose one of these next two games, then I think you're going to see a lot of uh, angry LSU fans over the fact that they have actually re- regressed in year two under Brian Kelly, which yeah. is, was not the expectation going into this season when all they were getting all the love from myself included to win the division, maybe be a playoff team. It's obviously gone quite a different direction. And everybody wants to talk about how USC is wasting Caleb Williams. Well, LSU might have kind of so wasted a, a, a significant season from, from Jane Daniels this year. Yeah. And if A&M beats them Thanksgiving weekend, LSU's going to have four losses just like A&M. That's right, and they don't. They ended up with four last year too, but they also had the SEC championship game, and uh, so it, it would be a significant step back. And and then now you go into year three under Brian Kelly without Jason, and uh, Nussmeier should be able to handle the job. Uh, but boy, they got some issues to fix on that defense. So I do not think that that LSU is quite where we just assumed they would be. Uh, right, write it down. A, a year from right now. The fans at LSU are all over BK. Huh. Absolutely. I mean, could be. Uh, no, no doubt. I mean, how they close the season, I think, will dictate a lot. They just got to get better on the backside of that defense if they want to have any shot uh, of being a national title contender. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, Dave, let's get to some college basketball. Uh, for those who are curious, um, Georgia just went on an 11-0 run. Blue Kane, the freshman, uh, has seven points off the bench. It's 32-28. to um, I said this earlier to Brett, uh, and I'm curious how many times I'm going to say it this week and next week, um, not with just this player, but just this sentence, inserting any player. Who knew when Folly Dante was still playing college basketball and was still at Oregon? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. There's going to be a lot of that uh, over the That's next hard. few days. Also, Brian, you, you seem a little disappointed about that that uh, nine nothing Georgia run. Eleven, oh, eleven nothing there, uh, David. Yeah, I mean, I, I we got I'm real American money on it. four and a half. I mean, uh huh. That's right. Yeah, you might you might have a little bit of, a little bit of something invested in that. Long Not game, David. Long game. game. <laughs> we know. I mean. Uh, Go ahead. Well, I was just going to ask, uh, with the start of the season, uh, I know, and I, I saw yours, I can't remember, so I'm going to ask you again. Y'all did y'all's Final Four uh, over at CBS Sports. Who do you have in your Final Four this year? Yeah, I went a little bit basic. Because, I mean, look at last year's. San Diego State, FAU, yeah. Miami, UConn. Uh, of those four, the only one who was in the AP poll to begin the season was San Diego State. Not even UConn was ranked to start last season. Wow. And so it's so unpredictable. But then uh, you go back to 22, it was all blue blood. It was it was like a cookie-cutter Final Four. So I have uh, Kansas and I have Purdue. Those are the easy choices, right? I guess the two that would be a little bit creative on my end are Arizona and Michigan State. Uh, that's that's probably Arizona. Yeah, I like Arizona a lot. Right, and they've been phenomenal under Tommy Lloyd his first two years. They just haven't been able to get it going in the NCAA tournament. Maybe this is uh, the third year, third time's the charm they finally break through. And then with Izzo and Michigan State, veteran roster with some really talented young freshmen, which to me feels like the perfect mix. Your bets can carry you to March. Then by then, your top 50 freshmen will be ready to contribute a bit more and help you win some games in the tournament. So. 
I like the Spartans. I like Izzo. Purdue, maybe some people think that's creative because of the fact that they lost in the first round uh, last year. I don't. I mean, they returned the National Player of the Year and a bunch of other really good players from a team that was easily the best in the Big Ten. So that one's not all that, that creative, I don't think. And remember how Virginia responded to their number one seed exit. They came back the next year and win it and won it. That's why I have Purdue in my final four as well. I've got Arkansas winning it over Creighton. Uh, I'm sorry, over Kansas and Creighton and Purdue in the final four. Who needs the NCAA tournament run more? Penny Hardaway or Rick Barnes? <laughs> I would go Penny Hardaway. Because, guys, am I right about this? We are in, what is this, year six, year seven? Six. Year six. Year six, and he's got one, one. win in the, in the NCAA tournament. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I think I, I think Penny needs it to build a little bit of momentum now because in this league now, without Houston, you want to put your best foot forward when you're in the spotlight. The fewer spotlight opportunities now without Houston in the conference. They are playing a good non-con. Uh, but for Memphis to get that national buzz back, it feels to me like they need to do something in March. I mean, at this point, Tennessee fans have almost resigned themselves to the fact that the Sweet 16 is as far as they're ever going to get under Rick Barnes, uh, sad as that may seem. Uh, Memphis, though, I still feel like uh, the fan base expects more than that. I feel like uh, a couple of games with this veteran squad in March is not too big of an ask. Obviously, missing out on DeAndre Williams is going to hurt. But they are still loaded with talent, veteran, and if Penny can get all those pieces working together pretty quickly, uh, this Memphis team could be a top 25 in just a couple of weeks because of the schedule that they play. And then, you know, once, once you get to that point, uh, the expectation, of course, is that you win in March. And so I think Penny needs a, a run. I think they need to get to the second weekend of the dance. It's time. It, it, year six. Uh, after everything we were sort of promised on the front end, like it, it, it's time for the Tigers to, to make a run. Speaking of promised on the front end, who, what national recognition coach, recognized coach, needs a big run? Elite eight or better? Mark Few or John Calipari? Oh, it's Cal, uh, without a doubt. I mean, if Cal has another one of these 21 and 11 type of seasons where they are, uh, four seed at best and maybe like a six seed. I mean, that's not going to be okay for much longer with that fan base. Now they got a buyout. They got to figure out, but those Kentucky fans care a lot about their basketball and it's just not been acceptable this year. Whereas they gone, you mean one in 15 years is not acceptable. <laughs> it's uh, yeah. And the same and number, Tubby one, the same number, right, Joby. That. That's why I started calling Cal Joby Calipari. Yikes. That's, I mean, that's fitting <laughs> because uh, you think about their, their roster composition in this era, too. That's what frightens me about Kentucky this year. So many freshmen playing key roles, and I know they have Antonio Reeves and Trey Mitchell. That's, that helps. But you're talking about five freshmen who are likely going to be relied upon for Kentucky this season. And that might have worked in 2012. Uh, this is a different era of college basketball now in which – uh, seniors and super seniors and juniors produce the lion's share of your of your points uh, around the country. And you know, Kentucky's relying on guys who are, who are going to be four years older than most of the or four years younger than most of the guys they're, they're playing against on a night in night out basis. To me, that's that's not a trustworthy proposition. So that's why I've got them uh, picked all the way down at six in the SEC. 
David, I think I'm right on this. Kentucky has not made it to the second weekend since 2019. Yes, it's been a long time since they've made a, a run in the dance. We'll, we'll, we'll say it that way. It's been a long time. And we, we had no tournament in 20, to be fair, because of COVID. Yeah, you're right. It was 19. It was 19. So they haven't yeah. been past the first week in the dance. So when we get to this NCAA tournament at the end of this season that starts today, it's been five calendar years since their last uh, Sweet 16. And, yeah, you you know, he, he always talks about that COVID team and how UK had a bunch of NBA yeah. talent and they were trending up, right? But there was there, a tournament. There, there's so, 25 teams that go, <laughs> both hadn't been for COVID. Right. We, we were going to get on a hot streak that year. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly right. And so, it's, so it's bogus. It's a huge year for Cal. It's a, it's a huge year for Cal. I mean, think about on the state of Kentucky in general right now. You got a Kentucky that's kind of down by their standard, and then you got Louisville, which is coming off of a lot of divisions. Kentucky in an exhibition game. Yeah, I mean, Nashville is, is is down kind of bad right now in, in the Bluegrass State, and you know, I mean, Kentucky's got the talent to to go out there and do something special this season. We just it's just so long that it's almost difficult that it's going to happen because the league is different now than when Calipari was running it back in in 2011 or so because he's got. Nate Oates and Eric Musselman and Rick Barnes has got it going. Mm-hmm. And Bruce Pearl has turned Auburn into a force. And you know, even the middle middle of the pack in the league is tough now with Chris Jans and Dennis Gates uh, doing good work. And, I mean, it won't be long. I guarantee you it won't be long before Chris Beard starts winning. So oh, yeah. that the league is just a lot tougher. And I think that impacts what you, Kentucky, in the last several years. Yeah, no, you're right. I, I think he needs a uh, a big year for sure. But, David, uh, I'm so excited college basketball is finally back. Thanks so much for joining us, and uh, we'll do it again next Monday. All right, guys. I'll get it. Thanks, Thank you, David. David Cobb from CBS Sports. He covers college football and college basketball over at CBS Sports. He joins us every single Monday afternoon at 4 o'clock to talk a little bit of everything. But we're late for a break. Let us grab a quick one because when we come back, we got to get to our Sissy's Log Cabin. Look back at the weekend in the SEC. That's next on Sports Time. You already know you can listen to Sports 56 anywhere with the Sports 56 app or at sports56whbq.com. But you can also watch us daily with live video of all of our shows on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch. Five, four, three, two, one. Time for a look back at the weekend in the SEC. Brought to you by Sissy's Log Cabin the official jeweler of the Memphis Grizzlies with 9,000 square foot in Laurelwood. Let's go inside the SEC with Bryant, Brett, and Jay Morgan. Chad Kelly in the gun formation. Third and inches for Ole Miss. Carlton will kick it. It is on the way and it is up. But Baloo looking at it, going to pitch it to Herschel Walker, try to get him outside. He's going to get five. The snap is high. Kelly grabs it, wants to throw, fires it up in the air. Treadwell can't get it. It is good! Oh, my! Get a deflection, is caught! Deflection is caught! 
and down the sidelines is Adeboyjo. He's to the end zone. He's in there. Touchdown, Ole Miss. He's got 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40. He needs a block. There goes Herschel. There goes Herschel. And you can wrap this one in maroon and white, my friends. Arkansas is headed to Atlanta. The national champion is clad in big orange. Next weekend, just about the entire league plays at 11 o'clock. A lot of 11 o'clockers next week. But this last Saturday, there were a couple 11 o'clockers. Yeah. It started with Tennessee playing UConn 59-3, to big orange, 650 yards total offense for Tennessee. Nico Imaleva yeah. got in his first significant college playing time, 5 of 9, 86 yards, got a touchdown pass in this one. Jimmy Moore Jr. with the drive-by <laughs> handshake. Did you notice that? Yeah, I saw that a lot of people uh, What was he so sore about? I, I don't know. Maybe uh, that they only scored three points and gave up so many, but uh, Sorry. Yeah, I mean, welcome to the SEC, I guess. Um, but no, I was really happy to see Nico um, get some time in there, get some uh, get some reps, and, and get that touchdown. I don't think Tennessee ran it up. They scored on defense. Yeah. I mean, they played everybody that dressed. I, I, don't, I don't know what Moore is so so upset about yeah, Arkansas. What, two pick six is in that game. Yeah. Arkansas thirty nine thirty six in overtime wow. at the swamp, not the DC swamp, but the one in Gainesville. First win ever in Gainesville. Florida had a six game home winning streak. Tennessee, you should feel even worse <laughs> about that performance you had in September with Arkansas reeling, and they go in and really control the game most of the day. I I don't know how it got as close as it did. Rocket Sanders, 103, K.J. Jefferson, 255 in the air, 92 on the ground, 481 yards for Arkansas over Florida after 200 total against Mississippi State. Yeah, it was an impressive performance for Arkansas. I mean, uh, both teams really got after it early, both scoring 14 in the fourth quarter. But, I mean, what they did, Rocket Sanders back in there, uh, over 100 yards fam. I thought K.J. Jefferson had a really, really good game. So, I mean, it's they needed that win bad, and, uh, and they got it. A huge win on the road, and now I'm seeing a lot of people uh, turning on this Florida team, and now 5-4 and four Florida. Turning on Napier. Turn on Napier, and now this five and four uh, Florida team, three games remaining: Missouri, LSU, and Florida State. It's going to be hard for them to get bowl eligible. I, and I, I think for for Florida fans, I, I know it's all going to come down on Napier. When does it come down on mm. Scott Strickland? That's a good question. He's hired all these coaches yeah. that hadn't worked at Florida, at the Mighty Gators, at the Swamp, and. And, and there's one common denominator in all the hires, and it's been yep. the AD hiring them. I know he's a nice guy, but and I know he had big shoes to fill coming in behind Jeremy Foley. He just simply hadn't gotten it done. No. You could even say in basketball that he hadn't. Yeah, you could. I mean, uh, we'll see what happens this year, but you're right. Uh, not uh, not super great uh, first years for either, and now we're seeing year two uh, in football, and it's, uh, I mean, five and four, and it looks like, likely will miss out on a bowl. It's crazy. I failed to mention next week, Tennessee at Mizzou, and that's the CBS game in Columbia next Saturday. Next week, Arkansas at home against Auburn and the Gators at LSU. And, you know, Arkansas wasn't much different Saturday in that game than they were in a lot of those games, state notwithstanding. Just got a little, got a few of the breaks Saturday. Oh, absolutely. That's how narrow this thing is. Yeah, 100%. And that Arkansas-Auburn game will be really interesting next week. The old, if we replayed this whole year, yeah. there could be a lot of things oh, yeah. different. Oh, South yeah. Carolina, 38-28. 
over Jacksonville State, Gamecocks versus Gamecocks. Is there a state with two bigger tools than South Carolina as the Fed coaches, Dabo and, and, and Little Shane? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think I think they've got it. Seriously, if you went around the country and picked the two big for now, like in Nebraska, there's really not a second one. In Missouri, there's really not a second one. But Matt Campbell and 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 Ferentz aren't like that. No. Uh, Butch Jones and, and and Sam Pittman aren't like no. that. Arnett and, and, and Lane aren't like uh-uh. that. Saban and Freeze aren't like no. that. They got them in South they Carolina, don't yeah. they? No, they've they've got them. They can keep it in South Carolina because I don't Sp- I don't want it. No kidding. Spencer Rattler, three ninety nine passing, two touchdowns. And one rushing South Carolina. They get the win over Jacksonville State. And Jacksonville State really stayed in that game next week. South Carolina at home against Vanderbilt, uh, in Columbia, South Carolina. The other 11, the last 11 o'clock game Saturday. It started at 11. It felt like it ended about huh. 10 minutes ago. Ole Miss 38-35 in the pack your nitroglycerin tablets, yeah. uh, this year. At Vault Hemingway. I don't remember, now that it's over, in the middle of it, it was wild and crazy. I don't remember a more fun home year. Even the, the opener with, with, with 73 and, and Trey Harris with a glimpse of, of what he, he showed he could do. Uh, then 48 points against a pretty good Georgia Tech team. Yeah. And, and, and Haynes King. And then those last second games are down to the oh, last man. drive. LSU, Arkansas, and Saturday against Texas A&M. Jackson Dart. 387, zero turnovers. Two touchdowns, passing Quinshawn Judkins, 102, three touchdowns. Trey Harris, 11 catches, 213 yards, and a touchdown. And the best catch he made all day didn't count out of the back of the north end zone. Mm. That was better than the one-hand OBJ catch. That was was an unbelievable catch. Unbelievable game for Trey Harris, even though that one didn't count. Like you said, 213 yards and a touchdown on 11 receptions is incredible. His longest was was 40 in that game. I mean, Jackson Dart, I mean, I continue to say it. I mean, he just continues to improve and just continues to look really good. We talked about this being that first game of this November stretch for Ole Miss, what would they do in a really tough test against a, a defensive line, a defense in Texas A&M that Brett, both of us have been talking a lot about this year and just how physical they are uh, against opposing offenses, but Jackson Dart looked really, really good, I thought, in that game, um, and then on the other side, another loss for Texas A&M, 5-4 and four, um, this season, and it's just... Uh, you know, just not looking great for them this year. I mean, every year we come in going, all right, this is going to be the year Jimbo does it. This is going to be the year that they are just a really, really good team. And it seems like we're back to where we've been these past couple of years of just a okay Texas A&M team. I think they're closer than LSU. Really? I think they're closer wow. to having it. And it's why I don't think there would be a change unless it just – Really collapsed. They lost at home this Saturday right. to Mississippi State, and then went to LSU, and you know, and, and lost forty-five to ten, something, something yeah. like that. It's going to be around a hundred million for Jimbo Fisher, Ooh. for the staff, for the NIL guarantees. Somebody's got to cut the check for a hundred million, and then you got to hire a new staff. A and M fault. They would not go away this week. They. They host Mississippi State at home, and Ole Miss goes to Georgia. Give me the number of turnovers in the next – it's really two games. It's it's Georgia and Mississippi State for Ole Miss. Louisiana Monroe is not part of the calculus. Give me the number of turnovers for Jackson Dart. I'll tell you what Ole Miss will do in those games. Start just – any number oh, you want geez. to grab. Uh, okay, two games, Jackson Dart Dogs and turnovers. dogs. Dogs and dogs. Two. 
they definitely, if both are against Georgia, they lose to Georgia. If it's one against Georgia and one against State, could lose both. I hate Ooh. to do this, somebody, but he's got he's got to be perfect with the ball. He's got, he's to. got to be zero. And but Brett, I mean, he's been pretty darn good. What's he his? Has. What's his only four interceptions this year for Jackson Dart? Yeah, and, and and you know, very few fumbles. That team, Lane Kiffin's team, teams do not fumble. Georgia, wow. they won thirty to twenty one over Mizzou. Carson Beck, two fifty four. Two touchdowns and a big man interception. Yeah. Mizzou outrushed Georgia, but two turnovers killed them. Any upset hope, it, it went away with that. Cook, Schrader, Bo, uh, Burden, uh, good. The Ole Miss big three's got to be great. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, when you've got Brady Cook throwing for, for over 200 yards, now those two interceptions um, were definitely killer. Cody Schrader, 112 yards and a touchdown on the ground. I thought uh, Georgia's defense did a really good job of keeping Luther Burden in check, only 53 yards, only three catches for him in that game against Georgia. And, and for Georgia, I've been really, really impressed what they've been able to do, um, even though they don't have Brock Bowers, because it seemed like they were almost getting into this kind of groove of, we're just going to force-feed Brock Bowers every game. And so I was curious what they would do. Uh, well, they got McConkie back, too. It, yeah. And that's been huge for them. They've really been going to him. Being a little more from Ra Ra Thomas. Absolutely. Um, but Lad McConkie led the team with seven catches yesterday, and that was that was massive for them. This week, Tennessee goes to Mizzou, and Ole Miss goes to Georgia. Auburn, 31-15 at Vandy, 230 yards rushing for Auburn as a team. And Jarquez Hunter, he's found it. It's what people have been waiting on for him all of his college career. 183, Vandy, only 100 yards rushing. It was mostly Auburn this week. Auburn at Fayetteville and Vandy at South Carolina. Yeah, and I think the run game is what Auburn really wants to do this year. I don't know how much faith uh, Hugh Freeze has in, in either of the quarterbacks he has right now to really win a game with their arm. And so if you can give me Peyton Thorne, you know, 194 yards and two touchdowns, and you can run the ball like they did. Now, you're not going to be able to run the ball um, like they did against every team in the SEC, but I think that's what they want to do with their offense um, at Auburn. So I thought a great game, like you said, Jacquez Hunter, um, a, a exceptional game from him. So a good win for Auburn. Kentucky 24 to 3 over Mississippi State, only 73 yards rushing for State. They've scored 23 points in the last 3 games. Ray Davis 21 carries for 80 yards for Kentucky. Kentucky just really grind, uh, grind, were able to grind out yeah. a win. No, they absolutely were. And it's it's just been tough for Mississippi State with uh with Will Rogers out and and Mike Wright and in there and, and others. Yeah, they have a, a have had a lot of good injury. running back out. Yeah, so I mean it's just been tough for them. And, and Mike Wright, I, I think, has done an, an okay job. Um, you know, it was able to get that win, just kind of grind out that win a couple weeks ago against Arkansas. But you know, it's just really hard for this offense right now. And so three points. Um, it's going to be tough. But I thought a, a good win for Kentucky that makes them bowl eligible. It does. Kentucky at home at, at Kroger Field this week against. Bama and Mississippi State on the road at A&M. Bama, 42-28 to with the eyes, the eyes of the football world on that game Saturday night broadcast by CBS. They win at Bryant-Denny Stadium as loud as I've ever heard it yeah. watching a game oh, on yeah. TV. And it, you, it used to could be sleepy. It could mm-hmm. be sleepy sometimes in the Saban years, not Saturday night. Jaden Daniels was great. He may be the best player in college football. 
hey, I think he is the best player in the SEC. Yeah. And he was sadly injured on a really tough hit. Four touchdowns rushing for Jalen Milrow. The LSU defense, pure slop. It has been all year. Yeah. 507 total yards offense for mm. Bama. And that was the 202nd SEC win for Nick Saban at Bama. He trails Bear Bryant now by 22. Bear won 224 SEC games at Bama. That's the most ever. Yeah, and when and you talk about these quarterbacks, both quarterbacks, what they were able to do um, running the ball. Jaden Daniels, 163 yards and a touchdown on 11 carries. Jalen Milrow, 155 yards, four rushing touchdowns on 20 carries um, was incredible to watch. But you mentioned LSU and that defense. It's really been what's gotten them this year. I mean, you look at these losses, 42 against Alabama, uh, 55 against Ole Miss, 45 against Florida State, that game against Missouri that they just um, barely won in the last couple of minutes, 39 points. I mean, this defense against good offenses really, really struggles. And so, uh, you know... uh, Three games left for LSU at Florida and Texas A&M, Georgia State also in there. It'll be interesting to see what this defense can do in these last three. It will be. This week, LSU uh, in at home in Baton Rouge against Florida and Bama, as I said, they go to Lexington. That's our look back at the SEC weekend. Brought to you by Sissy's Log Cabin, the official jeweler of the Memphis Grizzlies and the Tigers and supporters of of, of both, and we appreciate them being with us. The new location opening soon. We're going to visit with the Sissies people on Thursday. They're at 4542 Popper. Bill Jones and his great team here to stay with the Mid-South's largest selection of one-of-a-kind jewelry, engagement rings, wedding bands, earrings, necklaces. For that special moment, that special time of year, they have it. 9,000-square-foot store in Laurelwood with expanded lines for Rolex, Cartier, diamonds, and much, much more. Sissy's offers a selection of diamonds, estate jewelry, and fine gifts. Since 1970, with six locations across the Mid-South. Official jeweler for the Grizzlies and FedEx Forum with floor seat lounge and supporters of Tigers Athletics. You'll see a lot of that signage tonight at basketball. Unsurpassed value, exceptional service, expansive selection, and an extraordinary shopping experience because life's too short for ordinary jewelry. Well, let's go ahead and get to a break. When we return, it'll be time for Big Number of the Day. Start your day with Sports 56 Mornings with Greg Gaston and Eli Savoy. Weekday mornings from 7 to 10, right here on Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. Now back to Sports Time on Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. Here once again are Brett Norsworthy and Bryant Dacus. Big Daddy. Hello, Big Brand. It's a guy, he wants to be big, then he gets big, he doesn't want to be big anymore, then he gets small, but the suit's too big. Big Daddy. The Big Boy. You're a big guy. I think she's trying to pull a fast one on Big Daddy. The big number of the day. Well, Brett, I'm going to go to the NFL for my big number today. Uh, Coming from the game last night between the Bengals and the Bills, uh, my big number today is going to be 
four. Joe Burrow of the Cincinnati Bengals is the second quarterback in NFL history to complete at least 75% of his passes with a minimum of 150 attempts while throwing for 10-plus touchdowns over a four-game span. I said he's the second to do it. The other quarterback to ever do that was Peyton Manning during his 2013 MVP season. So uh, the the rest of the season might be very bright for Joe Burrow. And, and they're doing it again. They are locked yeah. in and going to be dangerous down the, the rest of the NFL schedule. My big number is $21,791. $21,791. That's what A&M pays Jimbo Fisher every single day, and they have since December 4th. 2017, and they still owe him 78325000 That's incredible. I mean, what a contract. (laughs) It's mind-blowing. It really is. I don't know what to say. Oh, man. You know, I can't imagine $78 million. Uh Uh-uh. I can't can't imagine $1 million. I can kind of imagine $21,000 a day, though. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, it'd be great. Wouldn't it? <laughs> it'd solve a lot of problems. I mean, now, now, I don't think they make a change unless something really comes apart. Yeah. Because the coaching pool is really thin right now. Let's go over some potential leagues and names. Okay. All right. Willie Fritz, fine man, fine coach. Sure. Would that do it for A&M? No. Rhett Lashley? No. Jeff Trailer at Texas San Antonio, they might could sell that, and I think he has some Aggie roots, either went to school there or coached there. Uh, it'd take a uh, lot to sell, I think. Tom Herman at FAU. No. You can go out and hire a guy that went four uh-uh. and five? Uh-uh. No. Uh, Mike Elko, uh, great job he's done uh, yeah, at, at, at Duke. But he's six and three. Yeah. And I think he would turn down some places. I think so, too. I think he's very happy at Duke. Uh, uh, D- Dave Doran at NC State. No. Uh, you're right. I mean, there's just not many. I mean, and, and all of the... I mean, we remember when Jimbo was hired at Texas A&M and just all of the excitement and look at this resume and, and and what he's going to do here at Texas A&M. And so I think it would it would take a lot to we're make all, a hire people, people would be happy with. We're over our PJ Fleck fascination. Yeah, aren't we? PJ Fleck. Yeah, that's that's in the past. Uh, okay, the coach at Liberty. Okay, uh, Jamie Chadwell. I I take a lot to sell. I think it's a really thin market. Very, very thin. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I I haven't really. It, it could save Napier. It could save Zach Arnett. It really could. And and for Billy Napier, another thing that's going to save him is the recruiting class he has. I mean, you can always, for a lot of these guys, you can always, at least this early in their career, you can always turn back to, you know, point back and say, oh, well, look, you know, here in, in a couple of years, look at these guys. I mean, right now for this upcoming recruiting class, the 2024 recruiting class, he has the number three overall recruiting class. So if that can stay intact, I think he's got a great opportunity to say, okay, I know it didn't work out this year, but look at this class we're bringing in. Think about what we can do next year and the year after that. Here, Here's one that if Napier was out, keep an eye on this coach, and especially his background. As a student there, they said it was just shy of stalking Steve Spurrier to, for Spurrier to hire him as a, as a manager, as a student 
manager just to hang around. Okay. Jed Fish at Arizona. Oh, that's a good one. They they said that he bad that he would leave notes on. He would tape them to his front windshield. That when he got in the car, he couldn't pull <laughs> off without. And you know that that cuts it one or two ways. You either go quit bothering me. Yeah. I'm calling campus police. Uh-huh. Or okay, I'm I'm gonna give you a job. Wow. And, and he got the ladder. That's incredible. Yeah, that's a good nail. I mean, what Arizona has done, uh, especially this season, with kind of uh, some of the situations they've had. I mean, playing backup quarterbacks and and all of that, and and winning games. It's been really, uh, really incredible. I'll throw another big number your way. How about this one? The Grizzlies finally got their first win of the season last night Took against the Portland Trailblazers. So now one in six on the season. And for a long time in that game, it didn't feel like it, they were going to no. break through. Which, which interesting. Because it seemed like Friday night, watching that game on Friday, the in-season tournament game against Portland, that game seemed like a game that they would win. And then at the end, Portland comes back and wins it. Last night, it seemed the opposite. It looked like Portland was going to run away at any point with that game last night. And then the Grizzlies late in that one come back and win. So, uh Two complete opposite games, I think, uh, up in Portland. Get back home against Miami on Wednesday and yep. Utah on Friday. Yeah, so uh, at least get that first one, um, and, and maybe they can relax a little bit, got the first one out of the way. It's been a rough start of the season, uh, and they can just focus on basketball and get some more wins. But speaking of the Grizzlies, let's go to a break. When we come back, we'll talk Grizzlies with the Michael Cole. 